repeat the top one, please. Say, check your fire. Last night, I told you to check yourself. I said, check yourself when you don't know what to do. Start by checking you. Start with you. And check what you believe. Check and make sure that you're not believing in the culture more than you're believing in the Christ. Check to make sure that you have not lost your perspective. And it's so easy, so easy to do that. It's so easy to get to a point where when you're at this point, you start checking everybody else. You check your parents, you check your neighbor, you check the pastor, you check your church, and you make, make it sound like it's the church's responsibility or it's my responsibility or your neighbor's responsibility when you don't know what to do. But I argue that if you check yourself, that's the best place to start because here's a question. You've been saved for how long and you've been close to God for how long and so why are you this confused? Why are you, why, 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 is, why is it all of that? Why, why are you so disoriented? Why, are you, why is it that you're so, um, so off track? Simply because you're at a point of confusion. Part, confusion is, is really part of the elements that lead to success. It's what helps you get there. It's what helps you transcend. You, you can't have a class in, in college or in any school, academic environment that is um, a progressive class without it challenging you. There are moments when you just don't quite get the concept. There are moments when you just didn't quite get the test right. That's part of the learning process. And I think on any new job, you're going to be confused. There are moments when you don't know what to do. You have to say, how do you do this? You have to ask somebody. And so in those moments, you learn about yourself. You learn whether you believe you can. You learn where your weaknesses are. And there's something profound in our study last night when I talked about Abraham and how in that moment when he was told to go to a new land, a new place, did he learn something about himself? Did he believe God or did he believe himself? Did he believe that God, did, did his actions say, I believe God can get me to the place I need to be. In the moment of confusion, what did he lean on? We talked about all that, but tonight I want to turn the page and I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about something else you check, not just yourself, not just what you believe, but check your fire. Now, when you're cooking, uh, one of the things, if you're smart, is you learn to keep your eye on the fire. You set the fire at the right temperature. I asked the question last night, let's see if we have honest people in here today. Who in here would say you, you, you burned something? And you know what tends to happen? You lose sight of the fire. You lose sight of where uh, the fire is, how hot it is. And uh, I've, I've done this a few times, and, and okay, maybe more than a few times. When you get on the phone and you get talking to somebody or you get to watching something on TV or you get, to, in my case, studying or reading or something, and before you know it, you smell it. And then Diane said, you burning something up there? No, baby, it's all good. It's, the truth is, I got my eye off the fire. I use the term fire because in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, that's the only word I can come up with to describe two men. Two men come to a moment in life where they did not know what to do. They came to a point of real challenge. And in this moment of challenge, what was amazing about these two guys 
was the fire in their life cut on. The hotter it got, the more challenging it got, the more they rose and the more passionate they became. Numbers chapter 13, verse 20, 30 says these words, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go at once, not tomorrow, at once, and do what? Take possession. I want you to say that out loud. Come on, say it again. Take possession. Now, I want you to say it like you really mean it. Come on. Take, Take possession. possession. Take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, this is a fire that 10 other guys who went over with them to spy out the land did not have. If you know the story, Israel came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. This is a place that they had been waiting to get to for a long time. This is a place they prayed to get to. This is the place that was full of dreams and ideas. These talk about it. We can only get to Canaan land. Everything will be all right. We can only get there. All of our problems will be over with. Today they're there. And they're about to quit. They're about to give up. They're about to turn around. And these two men stand up and say, no, don't think this way. Let's not allow ourselves to have that attitude. You can relate to that. Surely you can. This is the job you prayed to get, right? You did ask to move here. Nobody picked you up and kidnapped you. This is the moment in your life you wanted marriage, right? Children, you did ask for them. So now you have them. They said, no, they just showed up, Pastor Rick. I didn't really ask for them. I don't have to say anymore. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that kind of edited. But you understand they're here because of you. And so now that they're here because of you, I want you to pause for a minute and, and ask yourself, what, what, what happened? How could these men be at the border of promise, the promised land, right down three million people, at the, at, all they have to do is cross over. And now they're scared. They think they can't. But one man along with his friends stand up and say, we got to do this. Now, the problem is the other group can't hear. You see, their fire went out when they got there. And this is a story about two incredible and passionate men who said, we can do this. Now, I gave you some extra notes you can kind of read up on if you want to. These are both passionate men. These are both men who'd faced great pressure before. These were men who were warriors. Joshua in Exodus 17 is described as a warrior. Verse 10. Caleb in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6 through 12, is described in an incredible way. He's 85 years old. This is 40 years later than this event. And he, he's, he's looking at the promised land, and this portion of Joshua chapter 14, he is, they've, they've, they've crossed over They've gotten past this event. Now, remember, this is 40 years later. Joshua and Caleb both 
are still living and they're incredible in their senior years. Caleb is 85 and he says, give me that mountain. I'm as healthy as I ever was. I'm as strong as I ever was. This guy's fire burned when he was 40. In this story, he's 40 years old. In Numbers 13, he's 40 years old. 40 years later, he's still on fire. Tell your neighbor, say, you don't have to get old if you don't want to. Come on, tell him. Say, you don't have to get old if you don't want to. I mean, I really, I want you to understand that. You, you, can, you can shorten those years just by walking some, exercising, taking care of yourself. Somehow this boy, this boy, was, he could fight. He said, I'm as strong as I ever was. I'm 85 and I can take you. Joshua 14, look it up yourself, verse 6 through 12. He's amazing. What was it that made this guy different? What made he and, he and, uh, and Joshua so strong? And how do you feel when you read their story? Is your fire out already and you're just 30? Are you already at 60? You need somebody in your life that's older than you, way older than you, that talks to you. Friend called me today. He's 80. I think he's 80 years old. He called me today. Hey, thought about you. Came to my mind. I said, wait a minute. I've been all over the place. Named all the places he traveled. <laughs> he said, let's get together. And so I said, when? When somebody call you at 80 years old, you got time on your calendar. You know that, right? He's somewhere in there. I'm not going to ask him how old he is. He's somewhere in the 70s. He's in, he's in the numbers up in there. He's somewhere. And I just think it's fantastic. You are not old. Yes, I am, Pastor. No, you're not. Compared to Joshua and Caleb, you are not old. And their fire and passion, their determination to not accept where they were, was strong. And I thought, man, these are guys that made me ask some questions about myself. So I have seven questions they make me ask myself. When I look at their life, there are seven questions that stir my mind when I read Numbers 13. Here's some things that they make me ask myself. Repeat it with him, please. How quickly, How quickly do, I do I respond? That's the first thing they ask me. Look at chapter 13, verse 30 of Numbers. Caleb quieted the people, just read it to you, and said, let us go at once. We don't need to meditate, pray, talk to God. We already are here. Let's go do it. Now, that speaks to me. How long does it take you to do things? How long does it take you to make a decision? That's a sign that your fire is low. This is the guy who says, hey, let's do it. We can do this. We can take these guys on. He's 40 years old. He said, let's go for it. But I, I must admit, it's easy for you to fall into a slump. Second question, how convinced are you that God is able Listen to verse 31. The men who had gone up with him said, we are not able. Can you read that with me, please? Come on, say, we are not able. Say it again, come on. We are not able. Now read the next part in bold print. Say, they are stronger than we. They are stronger than we. Read that again. Say, I encourage you. Come on, say, we are not able, we are not able to have money. You can't say that, can you? Why you can't say that? I want you to just follow the preacher for a second. 
Come on, say, daddy's stronger than me. Come on. You can't say that either, can you? But I wonder, do your actions say that? I wonder, do your actions seem to imply that you're too ugly to have somebody handsome? You, you just, you just, you just too ugly. You just can't. You just, you just too ugly. God can never bless an ugly person like you with something that good. God can never, ever, ever. Some of you say, "No, I don't like this sermon. He's going crazy up there. He's flipping out, talking about I'm ugly." Now I don't understand what he's talking about. Broken, ugly, yeah, all those things. You can say out of your mouth, yes, I believe, but do your actions say you believe that? I want you to pause for a minute and check your fire. And I want you to look at your fire and listen to yourself because I'm telling you, if I'm honest, I'm tempted to believe stuff like this. I'm tempted to look at issues in my life. I'm tempted to look at a bill and say that bill is stronger than me. I'm tempted to look at that problem and say that problem is stronger than me. I'm tempted that you can, you can look at your weight and say I can never lose it. I could never lose this. It's on me. It'll never get off. I'll never get it off. I can't get it. I just give in to it in the name of Jesus. I'm just going to be this way. I can't. Some of you, you can't move and you just, you, I can never move again. I'll, I'll, my, this is my speed for the rest of my life. I, I'm going to hurt like this all my life. You know, somebody called me the other day. They said, oh, my back. Oh, my back. Oh, pray that my back stop hurting. Pray that God would heal my back. I said, okay, you need to walk. Stop walking. How many times have you said, I can't help myself? How many times have you said, I can't do any better? How many times have you said, and you ever, you ever seen those makeovers? Aren't those shows amazing? They take a person who looks awful. They do, they take off, but they get the awfulest looking people. That's the bad grammar, you get that. But the awfulest looking people they can find. And then they bring them in, and they look at them, and they tell them they look awful. And they, then they act awful. And then, you, you know, you sit there for an hour waiting for them to make them over. Then they take them shopping and they get new shoes and they take them and they get a new, new, new hairdo and they sit them in the, and they always, when they fix their hair, they always hide them from you. You can't see their hair. They just, you, you just see the hair jumping up and down, you know. If they cut it off, you see this. And then before they, and then you'll see them out there running and trying to get in shape and all that good stuff. And then one day they had to reveal. And you're sitting there and you said, everybody goes, oh, look at that. Can you believe that one day your God can change your life? Do you believe that one day you can be the person you dream to be? Do you believe that one day God can get a hold of your money, get a hold of your body, get a hold of your body and change your life? I'll tell you, these, these two brothers believe and they make you think about it. But you got to need the third question because this is the stopper. Say, what am I afraid of? So you can't even say it. Come on, say it with me. Come on, say, what am I afraid of? Now, I want you to listen to verse 32. These 12 spies went over to spy out the land. Two, Joshua and Caleb were positive. In verse 32, you hear in Numbers chapter 13, verse 32, you hear the response that describes the reason they were stuck. This is why their fire was turned down. Now, when they went over to the promised land to spy out the land, they were happy. It's like you were on that first day on the job. Remember, you went, oh, that's where I'm going to work. Oh, this is going to be my chair. Oh, this is right here. This is it. You know, you remember, right? Remember on your wedding day, oh, this is going to be me. I'm going to come down now. I'm going to stand right there. I'm going to tell you, that's my bride right there. You remember all that? And that's my child. You saw a little baby in these old, you nursed this baby. That's my baby. All that, you're excited. Remember all that? Now you're here. 
And I want you to listen to this because this is how some of us sound after we get to the promised land. After we look at everything, analyze all the details, here is verse 32, here's what we say. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land, read this with me please, that does what? Devours its inhabitants. They, they eat you over there. <laughs> work on this job, they eat you up. All the hours you have to work. They didn't tell me that when I applied. This place is devouring me. Listen to what he said. And all the people whom we saw in, the, in it are men of great stature. They're all big, got big muscles. There we saw the giants. See, I, I think when they went to the promised land, they thought they were going to all see short people. They just knew. <laughs> you know, you have this stuff in your mind. You imagine, you know, when I get to the promised land, I'm going to see short people. Hey, what you doing? I'm going to conquer you. That's what they thought. But they got there and they were tall. So the taller they were, the lower their fire went. The taller they were and the bigger their muscles were, the more afraid they became because they didn't know who was going to take them on. Who's going to beat that one? I can't beat that one. And they start looking around and they start thinking about how they could not win individually. They, the 12 of them could not win. They forgot they had millions of people behind them. And all of a sudden, all they can see is that we were like grasshoppers, hear this now, in our own sight. So we were in their sight. Now, I often say this, the devil's main goal is, is to get you to change your view of you. Because that's where it all starts, you see. What will turn your fire down, turn your passion down in life more than anything, is to get you to change your view of you. So that when you look in the mirror, you don't see a person that you admire. You don't see anybody that you're proud of. The whole goal is to make you think that you're too short, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too dumb. Something's got to be wrong with you. Every day of your life, you're apologizing for something that's wrong with you. Your hair's not long enough. Your, your teeth are too, buck, are too big or too small. Your toes are too crooked or too straight. Your, your skin is too dark or too light. Your eyebrows run together. They're too far apart. There's something wrong with you. There's always something wrong with you. You got a bald spot somewhere. You got, you got something. You, you, you got something wrong. And so all of your life, you spend your life sitting there worrying about what's wrong with you. And you spend your life walking around that promised land job you have saying who got promoted and who got something you don't have. And all of your life is dwelling on that little girl in your classroom that you think all the boys like who going to get pregnant later on and have to go home. Don't worry about that. Stop looking at her and think about yourself. Every now and then, God puts you in a place of blessing. And if you're not careful, you will spend too much of your time wondering and worrying about how you look in their eyes. And if you're not careful, you will defeat yourself. You know, it's really important for you to understand, you know, a lot of times, you so messed up, the devil can go on vacation. <laughs> your view of yourself is so low. Your, your sense of confidence is so low. Your sense of value is so low. And so here they are, afraid of everybody. Look at your neighbor and say, boo. Scared everything. Scared. Pastor call, you scared. What do you want? Pa 
pastor called me. Pastor called me today. What did pastor want? <laughs> you know, I had the little voicemail. I sent a little text message to you, a little voice message. People answer the phone. I said, this is Pastor Rick. Oh, Jesus, pastor, this is pastor. They can't even hear the message. They're so scared it's me. <laughs> did I do something? What did I do? Every now and then you need to pause and ask yourself, say, what, what, why am I so scared? What, what am I so afraid of? Why, why, why am I here? These two men were not like that. And they, and they inspire me because they're not afraid. And I said, well, Pastor, suppose I fail. Well, you're going to fail if you don't do nothing anyway. Why not try and fail? If you're going to fail, fail. I like those, those guys on the plane, uh, on that train. You know what they did? They said, they said well, they, that guy got on there with that gun. And they said, uh, well, if we're going to die, we're going to die fighting. We're not, <laughs> ain't going to be no 9-11 again. We are going to, you have to shoot us. And they all ganged him. And then they, they, if they did it on that 9-11 plane, none of those planes would have went down. There's something about everybody on the plane fighting. And I'm telling you right now, if I'm on a plane or a train or a bus, we all going to fight. <laughs> These two boys had a fight spirit, not a fear spirit. Something about a fight spirit. People can tell. People will pick on you if you have one of those spirits. Scared of everything. What are you afraid of? Number four. What, what have you convinced heaven you will never do? Now, chapter 14, everything changes. Because they've complained. In chapter 13, God sent them over there. The spies told them it's not going to work. So in chapter 14, everybody's crying now. Everybody's wailing now. And I want you to understand, sometimes when you cry, you need to be careful because you're sending a message. The people said, the Bible said, all the congregation, notice what it said, chapter 14, verse 1, said, read with me, please say, all the congregation, all the congregation. lifted up their voices, up voices. And, cried. and cried. Now I want you to know how that sounds. I want you to do this with me. Ready? going to have a little crying test. You ready? We're going to just, just for a minute so you can see how it sounds. Just, 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 just for a second. You ready? And I want you to just cry. Just, we're going to have a crying test to all the church. You ready? I don't care how you cry. Just let it out. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. See? Let it go. Let, come on. Let it go. Way off us. There you go. There you go. All right. That's enough. That's enough. Some of y'all professionals, I can tell y'all do that real good. Imagine. You got millions of people yet crying like that. All over town, yelling, moaning, screaming, and crying. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty profound. When you hear a lot of people crying, when I, when, I, when I went to Indonesia the first time and I told you I got off the plane and they were praying, they weren't crying, they were all praying. But it, I didn't know what that was when, I, when I, I got to the hotel where we supposed to be Christians having this big Christian conference. And, and, I, and I heard all these, this, this um, um, and I, I said, hey, hey, uh, what's that? They said, oh, it's prayers. I said, who praying? They said, the Muslims. I said, okay. They're, they're all around. Yeah, they're everywhere. It's all, we, it's all around the hotel. I said, we supposed to do this? It's okay to have this conference right here. And I'm telling you something. It's, yes, I was afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I was fighting fear. I had never heard. And it was loud. I mean, you can, you can hardly talk. It was, it was that many prayers. I said, well, how many in Mars? It was two in the morning. They said, well, they, yeah, they pray all night. Mars are everywhere. They're everywhere. I'm not talking down to anybody, but, you know, some, sometimes, you know, in those countries, you're not supposed to be a Christian. And if you are, you're supposed to be persecuted. But I thought they should have put that in that request when they asked me to come preach. 
you might be persecuted. <laughs> but anyway, so I made it back. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm telling you, imagine all these people, all these folks crying. And you know, now, you got to be God for a minute because, uh, you know, right about now, you're starting to think, you know, these people are not, not, not listening to me. Uh, and, and all of heaven is listening, the angels listening, everybody listening and say, well, you know, have you ever wondered, will anybody ever change? You, you ever work with somebody and you just say, he's going to be late. As long as they work here, they're going to be late. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever just dealt with somebody and, and as long, let's, let's see, how many of you know somebody, they have consistently been the same way as long as you've known them? Raise your hand. See, see, you know what I'm talking about then. And you know what you do? You convince people. And heaven has been watching you. So God's watching. They're all screaming. They're all hollering. Everybody's falling out. And then they're not just, mad. They're not just crying. They're mad. They start crying. And then they're mad. Now, so I want to first ask the question. When I look at these two guys, I think about this. What have you convinced heaven you will never do? What have you convinced God based on your actions up until now, that you will never, ever change. Now, let me, let me, tell, you, well, let me tell you what I've convinced. These are some things I'm convinced of. I'm not heaven, but I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of. You can preach on tithing until you turn green, orange, or purple. There's a group of people in the church that will never, ever honor God this way. It's just never going to happen. They've been talking about it for 20 years. It's never going to happen. It's just, there are some people, and when I get to this series, now I'm going to tell you, don't come to church Sunday. Miss church. Because Sunday I start my series, Bedroom Blindness, uh, what the Bible says about sex. Now, that might be the time for you to stay home and stream. But I hope you come because it's powerful. Ooh, it's good. It's a good series. I'm telling you now, it's, it's got power. It's good. And it's nice. It's, 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 it's GP. It's, it's GP. It's the, it's not bad. I, I got it nice and coated. It's going to be fun. You'll be safe. And one little kid told me, I ain't come to church, Pastor Rick. Why? Because I heard what you're talking about. <laughs> little kid told me that. But I think, I think it's fantastic. But here's, here's what I'm, I'm convinced of. I, I'm convinced that some people, no matter what I say, I can preach the series. I can put it on the board. I can put, use colors. They're not going to stop. Some things will not change. You got to be really careful that you don't convince God that your family is not changing, you're not changing, the church is not changing, the pastor's not changing, the deacons aren't changing, that everybody's going to be the same. Now, I want you to understand, when you make that decision, the day that that is settled, this is a not changing church. This is a not changing preacher. This is a not changing wife. This is a not changing husband. Once you are clear that this person will not change. Now, based upon your history so far, could it be possible that you have convinced heaven that you are not changing? Now, just think about that for a second. So you say, well, it's, yeah, I might be close. Now, I want you to listen carefully because here's something that you don't want to miss. At some point, these people not only got mad with, because of their circumstances and were crying, they start blaming people. Now look at verse, verse 2 of, of chapter 14 here of Numbers. 
Now, all the children, how many children? All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, now I want you to pause for a second. Parents, you can relate to this. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, are we only we had died in the wilderness, wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land? To fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a new pastor. <laughs> let us go get us another leader. Now, I want you to pause for a second. I want you to notice, now it's elevated. You need to really be careful when you start blaming people for your circumstances. Who are you blaming for your circumstances? Well, this is my daddy. My daddy was here. Since my daddy was here, I would be different. It's my daddy's fault. Okay, how old are you? How long is it going to be his fault? How many years? How many more years do you get to blame him for your situation, your circumstance? Well, it's because of my ex-husband, my ex-wife. It's because of my children. It's because at what point are they off the hook? Or is this a lifelong blame game? I, I think there's something profound this generation is saying. This generation is saying we cannot be reached. This generation says you can wait, God, but we cannot be reached. Now, this is a, a free insight. Some people, if you went to them and said, listen, I know you've committed all kinds of sins and you've been away from God all of your life and I, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a free opportunity to start over again. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to forgive you of all your sins and I'm going to skip death and take you straight to heaven and set you on the pearly streets. Now I'm telling you what would happen if you took some people to heaven. They start a crime wave. They be trying to hit on angels. <laughs> now, some people in your family, see, I'm talking about some of your cousins, you understand? I'm not. Some of you know some people I'm talking about. Because they, based upon what you see now, have decided not to change. Have you said, have you said, I cannot be reached? Now, I want you to see the two extremes. When you see people like that, that's a low fire. No passion, no desire to change. On the other side, you got Joshua and Caleb. On one side, you got people, all the flames are out, a whole generation. Go through your family and ask yourself, cousins, uncles, nephews, friends, go through the list and say to yourself, based upon what I see, Based upon the responses I see, do they believe that God has the answer for them? Based upon what I see. Not that they're not nice people. Not that they're not good people. That's not the point. The point is, this generation was saying, we will not go to that place and fight. We will not go to that promised land. So I want you to understand this. Because they would not go there and fight, there was no other alternative but to turn all of them around because if they went, they would have been slaughtered because they wouldn't fight or captured. And so to, but to save the other generation that was 20 and below, he said, everybody about face, 
Everybody march. We're going on a 40-year trip. And I'm going to walk around this wilderness until all of you die that are 20 and above, except Joshua and Caleb. Now, you, you got, no, they did a whole lot of funerals. Sometimes God has to wait until one generation's gone. But the question is, number six, are you a person that cannot be reached? Are you a person that cannot be reached? The Bible said in verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, when they heard the response of the people, they tore their clothes. Two people above the age of 40 are going to the promised land. Nobody else is going. Two people above the age of 20, I'm sorry, two people. This is the moment. That means their children weren't going. I mean, I'm sorry, that means their, their, their parents weren't going. That meant their many aunts and nephews weren't going. You know what I, I've learned? I've learned that it's really hard to let people go. When you don't know what to do, what you ought to do, is pause and ask yourself this question. Do I have enough fire in me to recognize the truth, to hear the truth? Is there enough fire? See, sometimes you want to know what to do, but God says, no, you don't want to know what to do because you can't stand to hear what really needs to happen. For me to fix this company, I got to let all these people go. This whole generation, this whole staff, this whole shift. I can't, I, can't, I can't use these folks. They, they don't have a passion. They're never going to do right. And, they're, they're, and see, that's hard to hear. But see, these two men, Joshua and Caleb, could hear. Say that with me, please. Come on. Joshua and Caleb could hear. Come on, say it again. Come on. Joshua and Caleb could hear. Am I passionate enough to hear what I need to hear? Am I the kind of person that God can say to me, hey, this whole generation can't go in. Your favorite cousin can't go with you. You cannot stay in business with that person and prosper. You cannot stay a roommate of that person. You cannot have that relationship. You cannot do it that way. And see, some people say, no, I can't hear that. I say, okay, fine. You choose whether you're reachable or not. This is a moment where they make this incredible decision. And I want you to please hear the weight of Joshua and Caleb. Please feel the anguish watching person after person die, funeral after funeral, and watching people that were good people, but they just didn't have enough fire. Listen to me. They just didn't have enough fire fire. They just didn't want to learn how to do this right. They just don't like computers. So the company says everything is digitized, but I don't like computers. And so we love you. You've been here for 20 years, but because you refuse to turn up the fire, you can't stay. We can't keep you. But some companies couldn't make the change. They couldn't make the change. And so they died. 
But Joshua and Caleb live. Can you be those two people? Can you be the unique ones who listen? Can you say something that's very hard to say? Look at number seven, seventh question. Has God moved beyond you? And I want you to hear this for a second because this is really important. And I get this in my life and you're going to really, man, I'm so clear about this. Here's what he says. This is Numbers 13, verse 11. Then, then the Lord said to Moses, how long? I put that in bold prints for you. How long will these people reject me? And here it is again. How long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed, all the times I've delivered them, all the jobs I've given them, all the, all the opportunities I've given them, all the things I've done for them. And this is hard. This is difficult because all of a sudden now, God says, listen, I'm going to strike them all down, move over and start with a whole new crew. I'm not staying here. Now, this shows you how hot God's fire is. See, you see God's determined to get, get people what they need. See, God wants the gospel to get to the world. And so if overcoming by faith does not have the passion to give and the passion to serve and the passion to find ways to reach people, if we just want to gather and have church and just gather and hear some guy speak and laugh a little bit and have a little bit of fun, you know, he says, you know, I, I don't need those kind of people. That's not, that's not what will change the world. There's something profound about the moment that God looks at a family when God looks at a person and he says, based on what I see, now this is very important, they won't believe me. If you look at what he says in verse 11, they, how long? How long will they not believe me? They don't believe me. Notice, they were talking about Moses and firing him, but God, God said, that's not the issue. I'm the issue. I didn't, I didn't write the Bible. I, I didn't write the Bible. I didn't write any of it. I'm just a guy reading it to you. And so there comes a moment when you have to say, this is not about this is not this is, not, this is not about you. It's not, it's, and it's, it's so, I'm telling you, in this job, I'm telling you, here's one of the biggest things I've learned. You ready? 34 years of doing, doing this job, okay? Let me tell you what I've learned. People think they're the only one. They're the only one with a problem. They're the only one with an issue. They're the only one. And that somehow all of your life as a pastor should be about them. And their family, and their issue, and their this, and their that, and everything. And now this can come off wrong. You say, oh, boy, here he goes, a busy guy, no time for anybody, don't care. No, I can spend all the time I want with you. And as a matter of fact, I can make you my ministry. Every day I'm talking to you about your issues. Every day my world is your world. You sow the seed, I reap the harvest with you. I can be, and I think there's a part of a time when I should partner with people and help. But please be clear, I can't do this. I see this. When people come up to me, and here's what they say. You ready? Here's what they say. And then they start with the pitiful look first. <laughs> so whenever I see, I see the pitiful look, you know, I just want to tell you, I just have such a hard life. I just want you to help. I want you to, to just help me with my life. There is a place where I can do that. But repeat this with me, please. Say, he cannot decide, he cannot for, decide. Me. for me. He cannot, he cannot. come on, say, he cannot, he cannot. Turn, up my fire. turn up my fire. Come on, I can't turn up your fire. No, come on, we all need to clap, come on. I cannot turn up your fire. 
And, and, here's, and here's what I think people need to really understand. Some of you think fire is yelling, ow! Some of you think this is fire. If I did that, they say, oh, he on fire. No, I'm not, I'm just dancing. That ain't no fire, that's no passion. There's some people dancing like that and they broke and won't pay you their money. They'll borrow your money and won't pay you back. There's some lazy people who go to church who all they want to do is pray and you talk now. That's God, amen. But you look at their finances, they owe everybody money and won't pay, won't go to work, lazy at work, lose their job because they're not disciplined. Let me tell you something, why you quiet? Why you quiet now, you quiet? Are you fussing? No, I'm telling the truth. The issue sometimes, if we're honest, is the fire is too low. There's no personal passion. There's no determination to not be here. There's no fire to go back. I can't go to school. I can't learn. You got a brain. Something can go up there. I'm telling you. Something. Come on. One plus one is what? Work it out. You see how smart you are. Come on. That's a start. That's a start. Fire. I've seen people with nothing. I've seen people come to this country with nothing. I've seen people that can't even speak the language. Listen to me, and you speak English. They come here. I'm telling you, I can name them for you. I know some of my friends. They could not speak English. Could not speak a word of English. But they knew there was a promised land called America, and they found their way here. They found their way here. They were one of the few in their country, in their neighborhood, who had an opportunity. See, some of you don't know anything about that. You don't know anything about that. You don't know anything about living in a country where you pay to go to school. You don't know anything about what it's like to be in a place where if you're a woman, you never could ever have an opportunity. You're fortunate if a man will drag you in and have babies with you and feed you. That's a blessing, and your daddy sells you to him. You don't know anything about that. So here you are in this country, and I watched them come over here, can't speak a lick of English, not a word. And you know what they do? They watch TV, they learn, they, they memorize words, they try. And some of you, you see them, you say, they ought to learn English, and they try. How you say, how you say, how you say, and you laugh, but you can't say a bit of their language. Let me drop you in another country. Come on, say amen if you hear what I'm saying to you. And I want, I'm going to say this to you. I, I, I got to be careful now, but I want to say this to you. You know, you got to be real careful when you start ignoring people from other places and not understanding. You can be very, very cold and insensitive. Our country has to be very careful. You cross a line here and you start mocking people and you start being all immigrants as evil and, and intruders and, and all of that. Well, you know, I want to tell you, nobody in this room came from here. Come on, amen. Nobody came from here. You think you did? You think you, you was born here? No, we all have been transplanted here. And, and, and all of us have a story. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to justify anything that's illegal or anything. I'm just trying to make a point. There's a sensitivity you got to have. There's a, there's, a, there's a place where you and your heart have got to care about people. And you've got to feel. And you've got to see how when people don't have, they're desperate to have. They'll break laws to have. When you get desperate enough and hungry enough, when you live in some of the places some of them come from, when you see the, the journey they travel, but let's just talk about those who make it legally and those who get here. And they watch you, and they see how low your fire is. 
And you know what, it, you know, you know what I've heard? It offends them. They, 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 they're offended by, by the way you, your kids talk back in school. They're, they're offended by the way your kids are allowed to behave in school. They, they can't imagine. I had a guy, he told me, he said, I, I, I was a, he had a PhD, he said, I had to stop teaching in American schools. And he was, he was, he was working in a hotel. He said, I, I, just, I, just, I, just, I just couldn't continue. I just, the children. Um, he said, the children. He said, I, I just, I, I, I cannot imagine how you could have this much opportunity. And, and all of a sudden now, you have no appreciation. The fire is gone out. The fire is low. How, how could you? How could you? How could you? All you have to do is look at the numbers. Look at, look at the numbers. Look at the dropout rate. Look at what's happening. There's, how could you? How could you? You're not afraid? You should be. You're not, you're not concerned? You should be. We don't have enough fire to deal with it, though. You see, it's amazing how we, we, we just think the, the superintendent should fix it. You ought to know him. He's a nice man. You ought to get to know him. You ought to, you ought to ah, no, no. And then the teachers talk about him, and then the principals talk about the teachers, and the teachers talk about the principals, and everybody's talking about everybody, and, and the school board's talking about the people, and then everybody's talking about everybody. We need to pray for everybody. Because what's happening is, while we're doing all that, the fire goes out, and here's what happens. People start believing there is no hope. Have you come to the place where you have become a people where there is no hope? God has to move on. It will be the next generation that's blessed, not us. There's a statement that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, that's disturbing. It's disturbing because of what he says to do. And this is that part that a lot of people cannot hear. Because the assumption is everybody can be redeemed and everything can be redeemed, and sometimes it can't be. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. Whoever will not receive your, you nor hear your words. This is what Jesus told the disciples. When you know they will not receive you and you know they will not hear your words, here's what you do. When you depart from them, their house, shake off the dust from your feet. There comes a moment when you have to say to yourself, I can no longer spend my life worrying about them. Joshua and Caleb came to that revelation. And what's interesting is they say absolutely nothing else about saving this generation. They just watch them die. They accepted this is going to be 40 years, as God told them 40 years. So they settle in to a 40-year ride and said, this generation cannot be saved. Now, I want you to hear this for a second. It took a lot of fire to do that. It takes a lot of power and strength to say, that is over. That is done. I can't save that person. I can't save that career. That marriage, that guy left me. He's got a new wife. I need to move on. I cannot spend my life another day worrying about that. That particular industry is no longer profitable. I can no longer stay employed here. I cannot, cannot find the kind of job opportunity I need. I need to pause for a second and face the truth about where I'm at. There's something about the reality and the strength of being two guys who must now wait 40 years. Imagine if God told you it's going to be 40 years how could you possibly not complain? 
Well, you've got to be guys with some high fire who understand. You've got to be guys who see beyond and who know that God can and God will. There's something about the way they thought. There's something about the way their minds worked. When you don't know what to do, when you come to that moment in your life and you have no clue what to do, you check your fire and check the fire of the people around you, and it will probably explain to you why we're confused. If the people around you are not focused and not clear, it explains to you why we're here. And it can show you what you have to do. Turn up your fire. They couldn't turn up the fire of anybody else, but they could turn up their own fire. You can't change the outcome. Listen to me. You get this, you'll be different. I'm telling you, you can't change the outcome of your family. You can give it all you got. But there comes a day when you realize these children have made a decision to go down this path, and I need to light my fire and pray for theirs. There comes a moment in time when people make a decision. Now, are you saying give up on people? I'm not giving up on anybody. They have made a decision. I'm not changing. And you can spend all of your life denying that, or you can rise up and do something amazing for yourself. Come on, say, turn up your fire. Come on. Come on, say, turn up your fire. Come on, say, turn up your fire. When you turn up your fire, an amazing thing happens. You see new options. When you turn up the fire in your life, things look different. Before you couldn't see, now you can. You see, Joshua knew one day I will stand and I will take these people into the promised land because God told me. One day, all this is going to be over with. It's not going to be in, uh, in one day or in two days. It's going to be a while. But there's something about high fire that gives you long faith. What are your options? Tomorrow, I want to talk about options. Israel had options, but missed great opportunities. Their fire to stay focused seemed to burn out when the pressure was on. Whenever pressure's on, I said earlier, it reveals how high your fire is. In 1 Corinthians, I'm going to give you some homework, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to read that between now and tomorrow night. And I want to show you how their fire affected them. And I want to show you that there were three things that were very interesting to me. Number one, fear. Number two, what I call misapplied anger. You saw it tonight in Moses. Moses was not their problem. You can make your daddy your problem. You can make me your problem. You can make this church your problem. You can make all churches your problem. You can make everybody your problem. You can make the Democrats your problem. You can make everybody else your problem. But you need to do, pause for a second and say, I need to check me. I need to check my fire. Why am I living life after all these years and I don't know what to do? Why am I so, why am I confused? I've been in how many church services? How many, how many messages have I heard? How many gospel songs have I heard? Why am I confused? I should not be confused. And there's no reason for me. 
Part of the problem is maybe if I check myself, I've not been living like I believe that God has my answers. If anything, I've been following the culture and living like the culture. That's the only reason I'm still confused. If I were really listening to God and if I were really following God, then I would be in a whole nother place. Could it not be God can't show me what to do because if he tried to show me what to do, my fire is so low, I still wouldn't do it. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? If you don't have the passion of a Joshua and a Caleb that says, I'm not following the culture, I'm not going to act like other people, I'm going to be different. You'll never, hear this now, be able to recognize the options. You'll miss them. Here's a bonus verse, Romans chapter 12. Here's what it says. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans 12 and 1, present your bodies to God a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Now, here's, here's what that means. Just give your life to God. That's the bottom line of that. Verse 2, be not conformed or shaped by the culture or by the world. Now, here's why, that you may recognize God's perfect and acceptable will. The bottom line is, you can't recognize an option that God has for you because you don't think like him. He's trying to say, listen, you don't even see how many things I can do for you because you don't think with me. Could it be you don't know what to do? You can't see the options. And he said, I can show you how to fix your marriage. If your fire was higher, I could show you, if you believe me, how to fix this job problem you've got. You think it's the boss. You think it's the supervisor. You think it's somebody in the neighborhood. You think it's your neighbor. You think it's the police department. You think it's somebody else. You think you, you got all these ideas about what it is. But could it not be that you need to adjust your fire? And I'll tell you one good way to do that. Lift your hand for just a moment. Father, we come today thanking you for a few minutes in your word. Thanking you for the opportunity to follow the life of two great guys. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray that the Holy Spirit will bless everyone here today. Matter of fact, stand up on your feet. Would you please stand up on your feet? I'm going to take just a minute. Some of you, this has really spoken to you. Because what you've done is all your life you've said it's somebody else's. That's why I don't know because nobody explained to me. So no, 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 you, you haven't checked. You haven't checked. You haven't checked you. You haven't checked your fire. You, you, you're not in a place where you can receive the options that God wants to bring into your life. Father God, I pray right now that when we leave this place, whether we're home or here, the Holy Spirit would touch hearts and minds. People would say, help me turn up my fire. What does that mean? My passion for God. My passion to learn. My passion to see. Help me see what I'm afraid of. Help me see what's stopping me.
Help me never be one of those people God has to say, he'll never change. Help me, Lord God, recognize in me a stubbornness, a rebellion that pushes against God's will for my life. Help me respond more quickly to you. Help me start saying God is able. Help me begin to trust you and not blame others for my circumstances. Father, in Jesus' name, I declare that I want to be a person that can be reached. And I declare, Lord God, that my life will become one of the lives that outlasts others. Would you repeat this prayer with me, please? Say, in Jesus' name, I receive the message. My life will never be the same. I now will check myself. I will check my fire so I can see my options. So, Lord, let this word burn in their spirits today. And I pray that as they study 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they would open their hearts and minds. And that as they read that, they would say, look at the options these people had and look at the options they missed. I pray, Lord God, that they would, they would open their hearts and minds and say, God, I don't want these bad options to happen in my life. I'd rather have these good options. I pray, Father, that you would show us the good options and help us learn from this message tonight how to avoid the bad options. Thank you, and we praise you for your guidance tonight. And at the end of the series, I pray, when we get to the moments that we don't know what to do, the first thing we're going to do is believe you. And when we still don't know what to do, we're going to turn up our passion for you. And we believe that you're going to guide us. And we'll begin to see God's will for our lives more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Glad you came tonight.